0: You're listening to another episode of Classic Movies Live, the pre recorded show where we talk about movies that have been nominated for this year's Best Picture Award at the Oscars. And that award will be happening in about five weeks. That's when that will be uh, given out. And so we've got about five movies left to talk about. Today's movie is based on the life of. Of Leonard Bernstein and directed by Bradley Cooper, we are going to talk about Maestro. Uh, for this, we've brought in a special guest, who can bring a little bit of um, a little bit of knowledge and history about Leonard Bernstein. And this was a wonderful conversation. I am going to uh, hold off on telling you who that guest is. It was probably in the show notes, so you know, you already know. But I'm very excited. We had a good time talking about this. We had a great conversation. We talked about Austin Butler a little bit. You'll figure out the context of that when we get there. Um, As for spoilers, well, Leonard Bernstein was a real person. So technically, there's nothing in this movie that I think can be spoiled. But we do talk about the entirety of the movie, and we don't shy away from uh, things that I guess could be considered spoilers. So do keep that in mind. Um... Next up, you are going to... Oh, before we start talking about the movie, I am going to play you a little bit of Leonard Bernstein's music. Uh, I'm not going to play it for you. This is some music from the movie. This is from his opera, A Quiet Place. And this is the postlude. This is what starts off the movie Maestro. back you are listening to another episode of classic movies live uh we're in season five now episode two how's it feel pierre to be on uh episode two of season five which i think is like episode 372 altogether? just as
1: mind-blowing as episode one except in the two version
0: honestly like i still i still remember episode one it was a very different recording experience but uh one one that i one that i it's a memory i cherish
1: um, well, yes. Well, it the memory, not the movie. <laughs>
0: yeah, yeah the, the movie wasn't the greatest, but uh, hopefully that's not going to be the case today. But before we talk about the movie that we're going to talk about today, we have a very special guest who was last heard uh, over a year ago on this show when we were talking about Anna Kendrick with Into the Woods and The Last Five Years. Please welcome back to the show, Ben. Ben, how you doing? Hi, I'm
2: good. Nice to meet you guys and talk to you guys again, all the way from Thailand.
0: I'm so happy we have an opportunity to get you back on. I know that like, I think you're, well, I've I've, I've heard about a lot of our guests from other people that listen to the show, but I remember specifically talking to one of my friends and he was like, you got to get Ben back on the show. And I was like, I would love to, we have to do that. Oh, really? So yeah, you, you are a very popular guest. Oh my God! Um, yeah, you and I'm so glad what for the movie we could we did get you back for because um, you are very knowledgeable about uh, music history and music th- and musical theater and just music and composition in general. And today we are going to talk about Maestro, which is about Leonard Bernstein. The famous composer and uh, also wrote. A, I, I don't know that he wrote musicals. I know that he wrote the music for a few for several musicals.
2: So the biggest thing that he contributed to the musical theater canon and also the film canon is West Side Story. That's one of the biggest thing that he wrote. But he but he also has written a lot of musical theater um, pieces and also opera pieces. And I also. If I'm not mistaken, he also wrote a film score for On the Waterfront. Yes. Um, yes. Which, which, but, but I would say that the biggest and the most popular contributions to the music um, industry is probably um, West Side Story among all of his other achievements.
0: Mm-hmm. Actually, and we'll talk about it shortly, but I thought one of the, more powerful scenes in this movie was he's being interviewed about all the stuff that he's done all all of the work that he's produced all of the music that he's made all of the different things that he's scored and the musicals he's written and the operas and the ballets and uh he says yeah i think it's it's a really short list i'm really embarrassed of how little i've done i i I mean, at this point, at, at this point in the movie, he's well into his 50s or 60s. So he's much older than me. But I'm like, if I had, you know, a quarter of that list, I don't think I would ever be embarrassed about my life again. <laughs> well, what what's so
2: interesting about Leonard Bernstein is that he, he there's a quote that he says. So just for a, a little context, he he is known to be one of the most important um, American-born um, conductor to receive national and international claim, but, acclaim, but he's also one of the most prolific music figures of the music canon. But he has this thing, he has this quote that I I wrote an article in Thailand about him, and the first quote I talked about is that he he says that he feels like there's two men inside of him, like one part of it, is a conductor and one part of it is a composer and he feels that he never have, he never seems to have enough time or energy to pursue both things. Even though he did a lot, like he did like astronomical amount of work for the music industry, but he always feel that he doesn't have the time and the energy to do both. It feels like he has two two people inside of him. This, This will come in play in other aspects of his life also, but this is interesting when you said that he, he in, in the first scene, in one of the scenes in the movie, he said that his list is so little, in fact, that he did so much.
0: I mean, I think that really plays into a lot of how director and star Bradley Cooper approaches Leonard Bernstein's life in this movie. I think it's a, it's um, especially you saying that just there's there's so much to try and put into two hours with just talking to to condense Leonard Bernstein's whole life into two hours and um, I think it's a pretty monumental task and it might be a miracle that the movie exists in the first place whether or not it's whether or not it's ultimately you know whether or not it ultimately succeeds in every one of those aspects Um I guess before we start talking about it really quick, I just want to list out what this is nominated for because this is nominated at the Oscars and we are going through all of the Best Picture nominees. Uh, so it is nominated for Best Picture and also Best Actor and Actress for Bradley Cooper and Carey Mulligan, Best Original Screenplay who's uh, fr- by Bradley Cooper, which I believe he wrote with Josh Singer, uh, Best Cinematography for Matthew Libatique. I hope I've pronounced that right. Best makeup and hairstyling and best sound. And the best makeup and hairstyling is for Kazuhiro, K. Giorgio, and Laurie McCoy-Bell. And best sound for Richard King, Steve Morrow, Tom Ozanich, Jason Reuter, and Dean Zupancich. I don't think I normally read those out. But, you know, I started it and now I got to finish that. So, all right. So this is up for an awful lot of Oscars. Uh, Pierre, what did you think? What do you think? Do you think it's worth all seven of those Oscars? Um, That's a loaded question. I don't know if I should ask. It yeah, that way. Yeah, well, I'm gonna I, keep it. But go I'll ahead. Do
1: me dirty like that. I like. Yeah, honestly, yeah. I think like okay. Well, maybe not original screenplay. I think it's uh technically it's like a very very well made movie. It it feels like like the title like every shot has a purpose. Um, they took a lot of creative risks, I think. Um so like awards-wise, I, I, I can see why it's nominated a lot. I, I think the biggest thing is it it I just couldn't connect with the movie, and it felt like um it, it just felt a little lifeless to me. And um I guess I'd kind of compare it with Napoleon, where like I don't know about uh, you've been, cause I'm not a huge Leonard Burtzny fan, but I was like a huge Napoleon. I'm a, I'm very interested in Napoleon. I don't know if I want to say I'm a fan of Napoleon. But, um, like I, I didn't like that movie because it focused, it felt like it focused a lot on things that uh, didn't feel like it was. I like the reason you would want to make a Napoleon movie is you want to focus on what makes a story unique. Right. But they focused a lot on his personal, his love life. And I, I feel like if I was a Leonard Bernstein fan, I might have felt the same way in this because it seems like it took a very big step away from <laughs> what, you know, his composing and what he's known for. Because leaving this movie, I genuinely don't understand any more than I when I started the movie as to why this man is, is so well known and an amazing composer, which um, I'm sure he is, you know, but. I, I literally don't get any of that at all. I see a very personal story about a very conflicted man with a family struggling to balance his family and his work. But I have seen that movie many, many times in many different forms. So I'm kind of confused as to why they would focus on that aspect more, uh, especially because they don't really I think the way the movie shot, it doesn't really it's not able to extract any emotional value from a lot of his relationships and personal life as well.
2: Well, I agree with you when you said on two things. I agree that this is like an admirable effort in terms of the technical aspect of it. I think it's like well shot and well, in terms of the technical side, it's very well everything. But I agree with you on that original screenplay nomination because I what I felt about the movie is that it felt very episodic in a way that in, instead of like you feel like you have a full breath of leonard's life and and the movie skipped out a lot of important parts a lot of his important achievements as well but which at first i do understand that he doesn't want it to be like a standard biopic where he hits all the check boxes of his achievements but i feel like if the screenplay is a little bit more well thought out in terms of the through line of it like they they there are so many compositions or so many events that happened in Leonard's life that affected their relationship that they could put in and thread it all together and i, I think it would make a little bit more of a compelling case for the movie so i i do agree with you on that original screenplay uh, nomination that i think it's the weakest part of the of the movie in terms of that it it couldn't distill the emotional um consequences and the emotional beats from his actual life
0: yeah I think that um, I think that a lot of those emotional beats are hinted at and I think that there's some very good moments of them like yes. there's a moment where uh, he's conducting and the entire shot is from behind the curtain watching Carrie Mulligan living in his shadow, which is an excellent shot and really gets to the core of kind of what her character is at that moment. And I think that... um, But I don't think that the movie manages to maintain that the whole way. Specifically, to me, this movie felt almost like two different movies, and one of them was just not that good, I didn't think. It was fine, but it, like wasn't the interesting part there's the black and white part which really um which I was really impressed manages to incorporate not only his like courtship of his wife and him and their and and him and her relationship but also um integrates his music and his work into that in a really in ways that are very occasionally like a little bit fantastical which is kind of what I want to see in a biopic like this movie is no Rocket Man it's not the same thing at all Mm. but Rocket Man has a lot of those moments where you know reality sort of fades away in favor of this fantastical version of whatever he's feeling at the moment and there's the one scene my favorite scene in this movie is uh, I forget uh, I forget what the musical that they're referencing is but it's the one that Leonard Bernstein wrote that's about um, that's about marines or sailors coming home to new york for a weekend and it incorporates yeah. yeah it incorporates like a scene from that a dance number from that with him just sort of on a date with his wife which i think is such a really cool scene and also manages to get to the core of their relationship and also the fact that i mean as this movie uh makes no secrets about he is a closeted gay man who just doesn't know how to like isn't sure how to deal with that in his relationships and his life around him so i think that one scene really gets to the core of that and i remember seeing that scene in the theater and going is that what this movie's going to be awesome and then it and then it wasn't which is was a little bit sad just
2: to give you a little bit of, a, uh, of a, some pointers for that scene. That scene is from On the Town. It's one of Leonard Bernstein's um, musical that he wrote. But the choreography that, that, that was done in the, sh- in the movie was not from the show. It was a little bit more of a reimagining of the choreography, which is done by Justin Peck, who choreographed the new version of West Side Story. Yeah. Now, what what is so interesting about that scene was that I feel like if you can if you remember the scene before when when he jumps time from the dinner table all the way inside to the mm-hmm. theater if you can remember, those are done in coordination with Justin's choreography and he has that intention to show the dynamics and the hidden sense of this relationship because from from the memoirs and from the history, Felicia Montalegre knew from the start that Leonard was a closeted gay man. He She mm-hmm. jumped into this relationship while knowing that he is gay and she accepts that from the start, which is, I agree with you too, Jeff, is that is that, that, choreo- that choreography and that scene really, really points out that nuance of the relationship in a very subtle but interesting way. But then, coming back to what I felt felt about the original screenplay is that it's very episodic. Like if they keep it in that direction all throughout, it might make a compelling story. You know what I mean? And I was thinking about another movie that talks about conducting and also has Leonard Bernstein's in the movie, which is tar. If you can remember. Yeah. Yeah. Can you remember the scene where when, when tar was like broken down to pieces and she went home and she, turn on a tape that that has that, that, that is a, a conductor talking about music, that's Leonard Bernstein. Mm-hmm. And that is one of the shows that he did for kids, which is called, if I'm not mistaken, The Young People's Orchestra, where he explains about how music can change your life, how music, even though you don't understand the music, but the music will change your life internally. Like those kind of things, I felt that if they integrated into the movie, it would actually even bring out what Bradley wanted to talk about the relationship even more like in conjunction with the choreography scene that he's doing too. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Which that is why I felt like it, it has a lot of great potential to be an amazing movie, but it's just like lies somewhere in the middle between like good and great. If you know what I mean. (laughs)
0: Yeah, there's there's the one scene in this movie as well that I don't think is... I don't think it's the Young People's Orchestra in this movie. It might be, but I don't think so. Where he comes out and he's doing a rehearsal with, his, uh, with the orchestra he's conducting. And he talks about the music. And that reminds me of what you're saying from Tar. And it's a great scene. It's like, well... It's a great scene, but it also feels like inserted. It doesn't feel like it's organically part of the rest of the movie, which is a shame because it's those moments that I think, well, I'm parroting what you're saying, but it's those moments that really uh, get to why Leonard Bernstein is interesting to talk about and interesting to put together a story about.
2: Yes, Yes, I agree with you. And if you pull out different scenes, like I could think of a few more scenes that are so amazing. Like if you pull it out and see it scene by scene, but if when you put them all together, it doesn't gel in some way. And I and and I do think that it's not the editing because I think that it's well edited, it's well shot, it's well acted as well, but it's the screenplay that is a little bit wonky in this um in this sense.
0: Mhm.
1: Oh I will say to the, um, <clears throat> I think, like the cinematography is really well done, but there are some parts of it that, like, it's it's really hard to describe, but it it feels almost voyeuristic rather right. than personal. You know, like there's that. <laughs> I was thinking there's that one scene where Carrie Mulligan and Bradley Cooper there's like a huge argument that it's kind of like the blowout of years of work, and I. <laughs> I felt, I was just thinking like, man, they like, like this shot is, is very pretty and it, it, it's, it's kind of a unique shot and it and it's in, an interesting way to frame an argument, but you get none of the intensity of that moment, you know, that like the entire movie has been building up to this moment and it feels like you're just like a fly on the wall watching rather than part of that um. argument, you know? And again, like, I kind of get what they were going for. Like, obviously this movie I'd say it, it felt a lot like, um, you know, I noticed in older movies, they like they like to have a lot more still shots that would let the actors do their thing. And I I usually prefer that, honestly. Um, but there was just a way they did it sometimes where I like I didn't think I, I feel like there was more of a purpose um, like in Citizen Kane, like when they have a, a, a static shot of of an actor, it's those those shots are very layered like there's a lot of depth to that shot and the the production design is uh is interesting it's like that shot has to be like that it, it felt like in this it was like in that argument scene it was like it'd be cool if we just kept the shot here you know and i guess the the point of it was they wanted to get that scene shot of snoopy flying by kind of overshadowing their argument but it felt like like to me, it was like, man, they they just stole Carrie Mulligan's potential Oscar win scene to get that Snoopy shot <laughs> because she put in a great performance in that. I think they both did, but I just get I got none of that, you know? I got none of that intensity or or their acting potential, just so that they could have the clever Snoopy shot. So um, and it's just there's it a lot, there's so many moments like that throughout the movie where it's like it's focusing on being pretty. More than it's focusing on being personal and to the characters. like it, it's it's it was almost like I was watching b-roll documentary footage mm. for a lot of it, you know. um, I did, and I never got those those talking head moments. like, and that's why, like, you know, when a lot of bad stuff happens to Leonard Bernstein. I literally like he 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 almost feels like a cartoon from what I can tell because all I know about him, from all of this, like, like throughout the whole movie, I think it kind of picks up towards the end. It gets a little more personal at the end, but like up to that argument scene, all I know about Leonard Bernstein is that um he's gay and he cheats on his wife and he smokes a lot. That's, and he's, and he's a good composer, but like, I would like to know more of, of him personally, you know, like how does he treat his daughter? How does he treat his wife and, you know, day to day life, you know, like, how does he compose? Like, I, I never I never saw any of that work. And it, it's it's like. Um, I, I'd almost describe it as like a, a music video, like a lot of pretty shots and then there was some storytelling there, um, but in the end, I, I didn't get too much of that story. And um, so like even like like it's the little, the little technical things, like it was almost like it was so perfect technical wise that it took away from that personal experience.
2: Even like talking about this, about a lot of the moments that the movie skipped away from, like the movie skipped away a lot of his important achievements. Like on the top of my head, I could think of so many incidents that happened during West Side Story. When, when he, when he worked on West Side like the behind the scenes stories about West Side Story that would lead perfectly and help the movie and help us understand what Leonard Bernstein uh, is about as a person, you know, like one thing that I could talk about real quick is that like when Stephen Sondheim wrote the lyrics for, um, for West Side Story, he, Stephen wanted to write the lyrics closer to what the character's, uh, background, historical, and also educational background is. These, these kids in West Side Story are like, poor kids. You know what I mean? Like with not high education. So he wrote lyrics with broken English and broken grammar and everything. But Leonard just wanted the lyrics to be beautiful because he wrote the music to be so lushful and so beautiful. And he and, and Sondheim was like, this is not how these kids talk. And so they have clashes like this here and there about the lyrics. And there are some songs in the movie that Sondheim just literally hate. But Leonard was like, I want this music to be in the show or else I'm out. You know, these things that we can see how he work and how he thinks about music and how he composes would really help us understand more about Leonard. And and I agree that we see him like in bits and pieces and we don't see him work as a music composer that much, which is sad because there are so many moments they can, they can wow. contribute and they can pull it out and contribute to the story.
0: So when I was re-watching this movie, I think... So I I was pretty impressed with Bradley Cooper's acting in this. And the reason I bring that up right now is because what you're saying, to me, I got a lot out of the acting, but I think I was missing it in a lot of the writing. Because yes. I think that, like... I think that Bradley Cooper is able... Like, when I'm, when I'm hearing you guys talk about this, I'm hearing... I, I'm wondering, like... Is there an aspect of Leonard Bernstein that was so obsessed with aesthetics that it gave him a certain distance from the rest of his personal life? And I don't know, but like, I get that a little bit from Bradley Cooper's performance. I don't get that necessarily from the writing, but in the performance and a little bit in the directing, he's got this, he's talking almost exclusively about the this relationship at the core, but there's this filmmaking distance from it. Like that scene, that argument scene where you're seeing like a fly on the wall, it's like one shot and the whole shot is just building up to Snoopy going by where the argument just sort of washes over you. It's a really interesting choice because that could be the most powerful scene in the movie. And perhaps to some people it is, but also like, I don't remember the argument that, I don't remember what they said in the argument. Like I mostly just remember the fact that an argument happened and then there was Snoopy because there's that distance from it. And I wonder if that's maybe what he's trying to get at. Like, this is how Leonard Bernstein felt. He had this distance from these things that were actively happening to him right now at the expense of, or like in favor of aesthetics, which I don't think necessarily comes across in the text, but I think that Bradley Cooper is able to communicate that through his performance. I just wish that, you know, it was made a little more explicit in the text sometimes.
2: I, I think maybe... Bradley is trying to. This is just my take on it. Um, I think I think he's trying to step up his directorial efforts, um, and technical efforts from A Star Is Born because I think I think A Star Is Born has from his previous movie that he directed. I think it has a lot of like emotional core, and that 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 lends itself because of the songs and everything. It gets emotional easily, but I think he wants to maybe prove himself, maybe. That if I'm actually going for the aesthetics and the technical aspect of it, can I make the movie as emotional as A Star is Born? I think he's trying to prove himself director-wise a little bit more this time. Because I feel like this. I feel like if he relieved his duties from writing to someone else and he just directed, maybe we we'll, we might get a more compelling movie. Because, yeah, he focuses on his acting and his directing. But... When the writing and what's on the page was not as strong as those two, then you see an imbalance in the movie. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. But and uh. speaking of Bradley Cooper, because you're bringing up the Bradley Cooper acting, and this is a question I've been dying to ask anyone who watched the movie. Mm-hmm. So based on when when people have seen Bradley Cooper from the reviews and everything, people have been saying this is one of the best performances of the year, maybe the best of Bradley Cooper's lifetime, and also it will win the Oscar. And then all of a sudden, in a few months' time, he became from the person, the frontrunner to win Best Actor, now to be the, one of the most hated person and the villain of this Oscar season. Now, and a lot of things that, and and a lot of the the arguments that people have was that his performance and in extension, this whole movie is too Oscar-baity. It feels like Bradley Cooper really is desperate to win an Oscar. Do you feel that argument to be any what valid as what people, as what some people feel it strongly about his performance here?
1: yeah I, <clears throat> I think well I, I I think given given his history as an actor I could definitely see that just like I I don't necessarily think the performance itself came across as very Oscar Patey um but now like with the additional context I can kind of see it um it felt very well I mean like with all the marketing of like you know I learned I learned how to conduct an orchestra for six years just for this one scene. It's like, okay. <laughs> it's like, honestly, it seems like a little much, if I'm going to be honest, that, that I feel like he had a, there was probably a, a better way to use his time, such as writing the script. Um, but <laughs> so, yeah, like given that, I can see why. I, I think I also kind of see how you could look at his acting as um very showman like it it kind of felt like uh Austin Butler and Elvis where oh it, yeah it it felt like an I mean I don't even I don't even know anything about Leonard Bernstein but it almost felt like an a caricature of of Leonard Bernstein if that makes sense um based on footage that he was able to gather kind of like what Austin Butler did so there like there is a kind of sense of that too which I don't think helped uh helped where uh i I think the performance felt so performed Mm -hmm. like it doesn't necessarily bad acting but i'd say the style of it and the way the film portrays it makes it feel very performy, and that kind of adds to the distance felt between you and um leonard bernstein because we don't it's like we only see him when we mostly only see him when he's being a fake person anyways in the movie you know like there's very few moments when leonard bernstein's actually i I can't even think of a moment maybe when his like wife passes away where it felt like this is like the real leonard bernstein you know this is a very personal moment that we're seeing but everything else it's like it's like he's constantly being interviewed you know like every conversation is a performance every conversation with his wife his friends you know and i again that might be part like part of the movie if that makes sense but that doesn't really add any value to me as a viewer um if you don't have that contrast of this is who he was when he was fake and because i i highly doubt leonard bernstein was just always like a fake guy all the time and putting on a performance i'm sure he had very personal moments to himself you know
0: um yeah i guess like I think that uh, I, I haven't seen too, too much of his press for this movie. I've seen a little bit of it. And like the press is always where the Oscar Beatty stuff really hits. Cause that's where people are trying to talk up themselves and usually not doing a very good job of it. Um, as for the performance, like I do think it's a really good performance, but I guess I sort of grabbed on to what you said, Pierre about it potentially being a caricature, I guess like, I I don't, I don't disagree. Like, with this and with Elvis, um, I don't know either of the original, I don't know either of the original figures well enough to say whether it's, like, a good portrayal of that actual person, necessarily. Uh, I guess separating that from it, separating it from that, though, I think that he really loses himself in a good character who is, like, a good character for the story that he's trying to tell. And in that respect, it's a very good performance. I I can say that separated from um, whether or not it's a good performance of Leonard Bernstein. I, I don't know Leonard Bernstein well enough to judge it really well in that case, but like, yeah, I guess for someone who does know Leonard Bernstein really well, I would not necessarily be surprised to hear it described as actually coming across like a caricature, I don't know. I I don't know him that well.
2: I I personally don't think that he he comes across as caricature, but I agree that he he's he tries very hard. But it's because that he he really loves the story from from his interview that I know that I I think he said in one place where he said that if acting doesn't work for him, he will actually go and actually learn to be an. A, an actual conductor because he can actually semi conduct before he starts shooting this movie, but he just wants to really honor uh, Leonard's life so much that he dedicated himself for six years to, to really, really master the, the looks of it and everything to be as similar as possible. And some of the shots in the movie and some of the scenes, I was shocked because he does really look like Leonard Bernstein. There, There is a book that, that Netflix released like the behind the scenes book. If you can see when they put his photo across to Leonard's photo together and some of the photos, if you just interchange them, you might not, you can not tell the difference who's the real Leonard Bernstein and who is not. Yeah. Personally, I don't mind people working very, very hard to really, really play a performance, but yeah, I I, I do get the criticism about him being Oscar Beatty, but I feel like he got, so much hate maybe a little bit too much hate for this just because he tries very hard to 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 make the performance as authentic as possible and i do think that the actual problem is not his trying hard about the acting or the directing but it's the writing it comes all the way back to writing again i would say
0: i i definitely get the impression from this movie but also from the little i've heard him talk about it he is legitimate he is genuinely passionate about this story and mm. about putting in a good performance and i get that again not only from what he said but from his performance like yes yes he, yes I he agree. loses himself in that character in a really good way i think
2: i totally agree with that yeah like yeah. I, I i was thinking right now like if we could change a screenwriter to, to write this movie, who would it be? I, I I still don't have that answer. Like who would be the best person to write the screenplay for Maestro to make it a little bit more well-rounded, I would say.
0: I, I wish I knew screenwriters quite well enough to say that off the top of my head, but I can tell you for certain, it would not be Josh Singer. Apologies <laughs> to Josh Singer, but, uh, the screenplay is also the problem I had with his previous movie First Man.
1: So, ah, okay. Yeah, I was I was think cuz I I also heard with First Man it's like a very it's 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 a technically good movie but it's a very kind of impersonal, it's very impersonal and kind of boring because of that too, which I also felt with this movie. Um
2: the, the film that I like him right was actually spotlight spotlight is one of my most favorite movie of that year as well he, he wrote it with tom mccarthy but yeah after that movie when he wrote and uh, the post first man and also maestro is a little bit not as strong as spotlight so i was maybe wondering whether spotlight was more of tom mccarthy's hard work than josh's you know what i mean
0: well, I think Spotlight Spotlight has a bigger cast. First Man and Maestro are very focused on the two main people at the center of That's it. That's true. And Spotlight is three or four. And I think that maybe spreading the love a little bit, I, I don't know if Tom McCarthy or Josh Singer wrote more of Spotlight, but I would say that if we assume that Josh Singer had a very big hand in Spotlight, which, I mean, his name's on the screenplay, so he clearly had some hand in it, I maybe maybe he benefits more from a little larger casts.
2: Maybe yeah, maybe I, I was thinking of another person, which is the person who wrote um, "A Star Is Born" with Bradley Cooper, which is Eric Roth, the same screenwriter who's doing um, "Killers of the Flower Moon." I I wonder if he could take a crack at this story and make it like in a different way, yeah.
1: Yeah, I, I was actually thinking that, too, because uh, I think Killers of the Flower Moon had a good balance of, you know, the personal family life and the the, the criminal life. You know, and I think that's something that this movie sorely needed was more of a balance, um, especially over a large period of time. Like I think Killers of the Flower Moon, maybe it's the way it's edited. Um, it covers like, I want to say, 10, 15 years, but it does it in a very organic way you know um it never felt episodic it felt like a a very thorough story and you know in this movie i feel like that's something it, it desperately needed was some something connecting all the huge time jumps that randomly happened yeah um and and again like he, he did a star was born with bradley so i feel like they already had they already had writing chemistry i don't know why he seemed like a very good candidate to do it again um, but I guess maybe because he was writing *Killers of the Flower Moon*, so
0: maybe. You know, we talked a lot about Bradley Cooper, but we haven't talked very much about Carrie Mulligan in this movie, and she was pretty incredible in this movie. Actually, she was very, very good. Um, that's, I guess, my take. I, I guess I wanted to ask. I, I saw some nods. What What did you guys think of Carrie Mulligan?
1: Ah, uh, she yeah, she was really good. I. I, I definitely felt like her performance was a lot felt a lot more personal and real, um, and she was able to kind of get around some of the s- cinematography techniques, because uh, just because her performance just felt really raw, right? Um, I thought she did a great job, and I just I just wish we got again like <laughs> that argument scene that that could have been her Oscar scene, you know. Um, but now I like I don't think she's gonna win because she never gets she never really gets that moment either. And but the thing is she has that moment. They just don't film it. Um but yeah, like uh I, I really start connecting to the movie more in the the third act when you know she's hit with the the cancer, and um I thought I thought after that like she really carried the the movie uh, like that, it, she made she almost like made it her movie you know um and i thought that was uh very impressive so yeah really well done by her
2: and and i love uh what i love the most about carrie mulligan's performance is that i think she she stood out from the movie without making the role shouty or making the role too much like out there like her understated quality of it has this rawness and it shines in a very unexpected way, which is a very hard balance to 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 do, you know. For for movies like this, sometimes you want a scene that is like bombastic and loud, and the character just screams and shout. But even in the loudest scene, in the the the, the, the argument scene, Carrie Mulligan still remains that balance in a very very interesting way. That she could stand her own ground. She still expresses her feelings, but not in a very much showy kind of way which is like the direct opposite of what Bradley Cooper is doing with the accents and with the performance in, in the movie as well which you know for, for, for a role like Leonard Bernstein projected in the movie like the low role of Felicia could easily be diminished because that role is just so big and so performative but Carrie Mulligan stood her ground and still make the movie her own which is kind of impressive
0: yeah and she's able to get an awful lot out of um extremely quiet moments like there is that there is that argument that is understated for an argument but then there's that there's there's more than just the one scene i mentioned earlier but that one scene where she's standing behind the curtain and you get the entire thing from her perspective and she doesn't even have to say anything it's just you see everything that she's going through in one moment she has a few scenes like that like the uh the on the town scene she's you know bradley's doing a lot of the doing doing most of the like moving around in that in that scene but carrie mulligan is still uh she's still very active and she's only just sitting on a she's just sitting on a chair and you're still getting a lot of her entire inner life here so i think she's really able to give you know carrie mulligan can give very loud performances if she wants and this is such a such an excellent um i mean to keep using the same word that you used uh such an excellent understated performance from her she gets a lot out of such so many quiet moments i think the other i think like that argument could in a different in a slightly different differently shot movie that argument would have been her oscar scene and like instead i'm thinking the cancer diagnosis where she's you know, where she keeps her composure all right up until the last second is such a, that's, that's, the, that's the powerful scene that I think of. Like that's the Oscar moment I think of. And there's two or three other ones that are all very good, but they're not big shouty scenes, which is, uh, I guess, I don't know. The big shouty scenes are hard to do too, but she's she just turns in a really, really excellent performance that is—it's uh, surprising in the ways that it's a good performance, I guess.
2: And and coming to the argument scene, the the last line that she says in that scene could easily turn to be a parody or a funny line. the 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 line was, if I'm not mistaken, if if not if you're not careful, you would die a sad, lonely queen. Like that—that that line is so gay, and that line is so like if if it if it doesn't get delivered in a, in the right way that line could be like very funny in in a scene like this but she managed to pull through like she managed to really really make that line like really really mean
0: yeah, yeah. i uh, i remember i was watching it today again and like when she delivers that line i'm like oh devastating wait hold on what did she say yeah <laughs> yeah and also that quiet
2: moment when um Leonard was Grabbing the hand of his lover in the opera scene in the opera house, and then you see Carrie Mulligan like just looks down on that, and the camera just froze on her, and you can see in her eyes a lot of emotions running through that. And just like that one small shot is very very impressive.
0: Yeah, I think that like this is a very this is probably a strange comparison. Um, but her performance in this actually reminds me an awful lot of another performance I saw this year that was not nominated at the Oscars. So this is really just kind of a shout out. Um, Holt McCallany in The Iron Claw. He has such understate. He he's able to communicate an entire lifetime of grief in five seconds of facial expressions and i find that carrie mulligan in that scene that you just mentioned is and manages to do the the exact same thing uh not in a wrestling context obviously but uh i think that i i don't know i'm very i'm really impressed when people are able to you know when you can look at someone's face and see that person has dealt has been dealing with the worst thing in their life for 50 years
2: Um, on a just on a small side note i am very jealous for anyone who gets the iron claw in the cinemas because we don't have it no one in thailand has bought the rights for the distribution of that movie so i haven't seen it i don't know when i will see it i'm dying to see the movie yeah i i am so sad that no one has bought it also godzilla minus one i won't get to see that in cinemas so just a rant from me
0: I'm, uh, I, I am really sorry to hear that because they're very good movies and I think you'll like both of them a lot. Especially The Iron Claw, actually.
2: Yeah, my God. I, 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 I'm, I, I've been calling everyone I know in the movie business here. Like, did you get this movie? When will I get to see it? And no one has interest to buy it. At, at least we're getting this another A24 movie, which is The Zone of Interest, um, in a few weeks. So I'm glad that I don't have to see that movie on streaming.
0: No, that one is one where you definitely want a good sound system. But we'll talk about that in a few weeks here. Or maybe yeah. next week. We haven't decided yet.
2: Yeah, just on a side note, apart from Maestro. <laughs>
0: um, Let's see. So if I'm going down my list of nominations, uh, we have talked about everything other than the makeup and hairstyling and the sound. Um, I guess my main question is... and. I'm I'm gonna talk a little bit outside of just the sound here, but what did you what did you all think of the uh, of the sound of this movie? Like, um, and I guess yeah, well, of, of the sound of this movie, it's a very broad general question, but it's a very broad general category.
1: <laughs> um, well, I, 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 oh, you go ahead. Oh, uh, I don't know. I don't. I think it was good. I don't. I don't think there was any moments that really stuck out to me, though. You know, like I, I feel like it's a movie that you you could you could be like like because it's a, there are very musical moments where you're like that's amazing sound but it's like they just recorded an orchestra like I, I don't see those as necessarily like is it sound mixing or is it just how do they do it now i know they converge the categories right it's like
0: it used to be of, i think sound mixing and sound editing and now it's one
1: just so sound it's just sound yeah like especially in that case like like it the sound is serviceable but um there might be the illusion of this is a perfect sound movie because it has music or something where I wouldn't really wouldn't really necessarily say the the sound design a- added anything to the per- like when Bradley Cooper's performing you're not hearing other things mixed in it's literally just a performance you know which obviously that that's how the scene should be played but like in whiplash when there's the instrumentation scenes like there's a lot more going on than just the instruments you know there's Mm -hmm. there's crowd reactions and like reactions from the uh uh different parts of the like there's there's a lot more to it whereas this it's like it it's it's pretty straightforward i i i hope it doesn't win sound i think that'd be very interesting but i think oppenheimer kind of has it anyway so i'm not too worried
2: i think the nomination for sound that the movie got was the what was all the music scenes because like if for example not only the uh orchestra scene but if you can remember there is a scene where he conducts um a choir remember where 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 the (laughs) choir sings and if you can see when he's like conducting and he's getting the voice up and down from different parts of the choir i think i think they gave the nomination just because of those like Big scenes where the movie goes up and down with the instrumentation and how they have to balance, especially also the orchestra scene that there's like hundreds of musicians recording live and also with singers, with real singers and everything. Maybe I think they just give it because of that regards. But apart from that, from all those scenes, the rest are just like conversational scenes. So it's not like as, as, um, recognizable in the sound area so i i I feel like i i feel like it's i i I don't mind them the movie getting a sound nomination but yeah i I don't think it wins i think the only thing that it wins is makeup and hairstyling
0: so uh my apologies to josh singer i think that sound is yet another place where the screenplay kind of lets this movie down uh because i think that this is a very well mixed movie like it's a lot of music and the music is well mixed so the sound mixing is great but beyond that i think that um when i was re-watching this movie when you see him conducting i don't i don't know how conducting works if i watch a conductor i am probably not going to fully understand what he's doing however When I'm watching this movie, there are times when he's explaining conducting. It's just a few scenes. This is where I'm thinking that like this is something that the screenplay could have focused on a little more. There's just a few scenes where he's explaining conducting and he's explaining what he's doing. And the sound matches it. The sound keeps up with him and the sound makes what he's saying make sense. I mean, it's the music that's doing it. But there's that one scene right near the end where he's teaching conducting to a group of conducting students. Oh, yeah. And you see the the kid. Uh, try conducting and it sounds one way. And then he comes up and he conducts and it sounds completely different. And the and that difference in the music doesn't work if the sound mixing and the sound editing isn't there. And so I think that that's a place where, I mean, the person who put together the sound understood what was going on. They understood the idea of conducting and that the uh, conducting scenes have to tell you not just in, like, it can't just be Bradley Cooper who's telling you what's going on. The sound has to be matching. it. And I think that like, you know, should it have been nominated? There's, uh, there's only five nominations and there's at least two on that list that are way, way better. So I don't know if it necessarily is the best nomination there, but I see what's going on. Like, it's a very good, um, the sound is really good. And the people who put together the sound understood what was going on and were able to communicate things that the yeah. screenplay was not able to do. So, you know, I think that, I mean, that's what I would have to say about the sound.
2: Well, that that, that raises an interesting concept too. I, I feel like a lot of the nominations in terms of the, the technical side of the movie, um, of, of the, all the movies we've seen, I'm not just talking about this year's nomination, but I'm talking about in general. Sometimes we see a movie or movies that, it's very weird to be on that list but i think these people who actually worked in the cat in these categories will have a different way to look at it yeah this is unrelated to sound at all but i'm just pointing out one incident which is when bohemian rhapsody won best editing Mm -hmm. if you can remember yeah yeah i i it's it's quite baffling to to know that uh, to, to to think about that win but I, I have a theory from someone. It may be because of you, Jeff. Jeff, we, we might talk it in, in in a Discord somewhere that the reason why the movie won editing is because the group of editors who are voting for the movie knew that the movie was sh- a shit show because it changes directors <laughs> and there is so much footage going on. And the reason that the, 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 the sole reason that the movie can be compiled together is because of this editor and they just gave him an award because of all the hard work and all the enormous amount of work that he's done to make the movie salvageable. you know, even though Mm. the movie is like what it is. Yeah.
0: Well, yeah. I mean, what did that movie look like before it was edited? Would would it have been watchable? (laughs) Had it been edited by someone who didn't put in as much time, right? Yeah.
1: I think it's a fair point too. Like I, I, I feel like, you know, a- actors and directors always get their like kind of story behind why they should win. You know, like I'd, I'd say a big part of why Leo won for The Revenant was because I, I think I, I genuinely think he, he was a, a great actor and probably deserved the award anyways. But he also had like, well, I was I ate horse flesh and I was in the <laughs> snow for like days at a time naked or something like that. Um, So I could see why, like, an editor would get... I mean, they probably have, like, just as bad... Like, the horror stories for them are probably just as bad in some cases. Um, I think I just... In that context, I think it'd be so funny to see, like, the editor for Aquaman 2 win because they, like, edited Amber Heard out as much as possible (laughs) while trying to make the movie coherent. Um,
2: Or or the editors for any Marvel movie last year to (laughs) keep up with all the notes... That they're yeah. trying to change with the cameos and everything, yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. Like Quantum Mania, because they literally like reshot an ending a month before release and had to re edit the movie to make that make sense. Um, yeah, so, yeah,
2: yeah, so coming back to the sound nomination, maybe they have their own like way of thinking that we like the, their own way of working that we don't know why some of the movies are nominated and some that we thought should be nominated don't, you know what I mean, mm-hmm. yeah.
0: But I think that you've brought up makeup and hairstyling a couple of times, and I have never engaged you on that point. So I'm going to let you talk about makeup and hairstyling.
2: So you know that the guy who is nominated has already won for Bombshell for Mm -hmm. um, transforming Charlize Theron into the character. I feel like he outdone himself this time because not only that some shots of the movie are so uncanny, but a lot of times I really thought it was Leonard Bernstein in the movie because i think the makeup and and not only the makeup during the like later years but all throughout the movie like he did such a great job of turning bradley cooper into looking like leonard bernstein and i i don't know it's because of bradley cooper's face um um already or it's his own doing but in some of the shots are it's just like so 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 good, and it's and I I think the movie was what it is because of this, you know, because like they could make us really really feel that Leonard Bernstein was on screen. E- even the kids said that when when they walked into the house and then when they see the props, the photos, and like like there's Bradley's photo mixing with their dad's actual photo, and they couldn't tell the difference which one is which, which is which I, I would say that if, if that happens, then I think the makeup and hairstyling team did an amazing job.
0: Mm-hmm. I think like, yeah, I guess I don't know what young Leonard Bernstein looked like, but he must've looked a lot like Bradley Cooper because in the, uh, in the early, like you're, you're saying they look very similar even in the younger years. And in the younger years, I just see Bradley Cooper. But in the later years, I see someone completely different. Like I, I don't even see Bradley Cooper underneath, the makeup that he's got on yeah Um, yeah yeah yeah. um yeah and then something i pointed out like several years ago about a movie i actually hated but um i talked about it with mank uh black and white makeup and hairstyling is an entirely different game than color and for one thing too this movie's color is very washed out when it gets there it's a very like strange saturation which is its own game too but uh, those black and white scenes look like a real... I mean, they, they don't look like the movie was made in 1940 by any means. But they do look like a very crisp, older, high-budget black and white movie where, you know, they, it doesn't look like... It's not a movie that looks like the black and white was a choice of convenience, which I think is... You know, none of the movies that are nominated this year that have black and white shots in them... Feel like choices of convenience over stylistic choices, but I think that you know a ma- the makeup in those scenes is a big part of making that presentation of the uh, of the black and white bits look as look as smooth as it
1: does. Black the black and white can feel Oscar Beatty sometimes in other movies, but I, this this is one of the parts in the movie that actually felt pretty genuine. And didn't bother me at all. And the aspect ratio too. I actually really like the aspect ratio.
0: Yeah, same. Um,
1: and it added a lot. I thought it added a lot to it.
0: It actually kind of made. Uh, actually, once this movie is in color, um, that washed out feel of it makes it feel a little bit like home movies, uh, mm-hmm. right? Especially right near the beginning, where they're literally at home after their daughter has come back from summer camp. Like, I think that's a. It's a really. It's a really neat little feeling that they don't ever have to say explicitly, but like kind of comes across in just the way that it's shot, which I guess isn't makeup. But still, like that's I think that uh, I think this is a good looking movie. That's what I guess I'm trying to say.
1: Yeah. Well, maybe like I I could see that. um, I think the way the way it's shot, too, I I feel like. um, Like, is it is it shot on film? That's a good it felt like it was but i feel like maybe if it was if it was shot in a different way um it the makeup might have been more obvious if that makes sense so i think that might have added to it as well as like there's very i feel like there's a very few close up shots um which might which might add to the the believability of of the makeup not i'm not saying that i think that's a good thing for i think that's a, a, like a plus for the makeup team you know like i think anyone can have the perfect makeup, but if you shoot them in the wrong way, they're going to look like it's fake, you know? So
2: it is shot on film. I just searched oh, okay. it up. Yeah, it sense, is yeah. shot on film and, and they use two different film stock for, for the movie, one for black and white and another one for, for color as well. Mm-hmm. Oh, okay. Yeah. So the, the, the same method as um what Oppenheimer is using, but just on 35 millimeter film yeah
1: mm-hmm. well what would you guys do you guys think it has a chance of cinematography because i actually think that's had was the best aspect of the movie um well, it for me might,
2: it might be winning but if only that hoiter van hoitama didn't invent uh, a new <laughs> seventy millimeter film for imax to shoot oppenheimer I, I don't think it's i don't think anybody stood a chance um right right after Heute van hoitama just spoke about the movie i i I already locked that (laughs) category. no one yeah i I would say in a general note a lot of the categories this year has already been given to oppenheimer unofficially Mm -hmm. already so it's very hard for someone to break break in to to win something apart from that movie yeah.
1: Do you think
0: that Hoyt Van Hoytema takes any jobs where the director doesn't come to him and say, and as the first sentence, "I need you to invent a new type of filmmaking"? Because like he gave a similar speech when he was talking about Nope. They invented a new way to t- to shoot night scenes in broad daylight. So he just is in- he's just constantly inventing things. Is Hoyt Van Hoytema our modern day Leonardo da Vinci? <laughs>
1: I feel like I don't know if he's at like inventing. Feels like a strong word. I think he's just creating. I mean, I will honestly, actually, you know what? It's a very strong marketing term for an, to, especially to win an Oscar. So, well, I'm I'm gonna give that to him. That's that's very, it's a very smart way to say it instead of just being like, I found a new way to shoot like this. Um, he's yeah. like, I invented night <laughs> night filming during the day.
2: <laughs> he he actually has his own lens. Like, uh, there's a picture of him. Uh. Showing his lens, which which with his name engraved on it to shoot Oppenheimer oh, cool. or something like that. Oh, okay. Yeah, it's, it's called the HVH lens or something like that, which is hmm. kind of dope for a person to to have that. You know, That's cool. Mean? Yeah. No, he's a, he's yeah. an
1: amazing. So like, he, he's definitely one of the best, if not the best, in the business right now. Um, yeah. I was looking through this Matthew Libatique. He, he's the he has a crazy he has a crazy like i was looking through i was like okay maestro very good don't worry darling was actually a very well shot movie and then venom like (laughs) or (laughs) then it's like a star is born very good mother very well shot actually birds of prey like what, what is this like the I mean, there's obviously been cinematographers with like bad movies, but like usually you can be like the cinematography was so great in that movie. It was just a it was just a bad movie, you know, whereas this guy is just he's just swinging for the fence. He's either like very mediocre or like amazing, you know, because I like Venom is one of is especially the first Venom is a terribly shot movie, you know, (laughs) like you can't tell what's going on half the time in the in the action scenes. Um, and the same year he shot *A Star Is Born*. That's that's just insane to me. That uh, his range of talent is quite impressive. I'll give him that.
0: Uh, 2010, *Black Swan* and *Iron Man
1: 2*.
0: <laughs> Jeez, oh, have you guys
2: seen one of his work? Um, have you guys seen *Requiem for a Dream*?
0: Yes, that's one of my favorite movies. Actually. Yeah. They-
2: that that, that's also shot by maddie liberty i think he's one of um he's one of um and uh, darren aronofsky's like frequent cinematographers Mm -hmm. yeah Mm -hmm. he shot the prom of all movies
0: that's i didn't dislike that movie but i don't like i don't understand i I don't remember very much about the cinematography like it was fine i I guess
2: I think maybe there are works that really fills his soul, but there are works that pays the bills. So you know what? I guess. Yeah, yeah but because and, I, I think the problem is like a movie during COVID. So maybe he was like, okay, let's do that.
0: Yeah. yeah. I mean, If anyone's ever going to pay the bills, it's going to be Ryan Murphy, especially during COVID. He probably was just giving away millions of dollars to people during COVID. That's what Ryan Murphy does, I think.
1: Yeah. yeah. Well, I, I could see, like, you know, it's the same thing with, like, Oscar-winning actors. Like, they're not... All their roles aren't going to be, like... Sometimes they just want to, like, chill out on a role, you know, and, like, have some fun. Like, Hoyt Van Hoyt's amazing cinematographer, but he, he he does a movie, like... He does one movie every year or every two years. You know, whereas this... this uh, Les B- Le Batiques is directing a lot... Or s- cinematographing a lot more than Hoyt Van Hoytema. So... Uh, yeah, but I honestly, like, I, I thought, I personally think he actually deserves the award, the, ah, oh God, maybe not. You know what? I I'm, I'm cut. Cause I was thinking about some of the shots are absolutely amazing. And I think it's like, 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 like Jeff said earlier with the shot of her being in the shadow and it's not just her being literally in the shadow. Like that scene feels so abstract and artful, you know, like, like you could have, that, that felt like a painting where it was like it's like it was almost like she was floating in this black void rather than just like literally being in her shadow which also would have been a good shot you know but the way he shot actually that might have been a little corny but the way he shot it was just so it added so much to it so like I definitely think the cinematography was was carrying the movie in terms of uh, storytelling like there's a lot of the shots told a lot of story um I guess what we were talking about earlier, though, is that it was so perfect and beautiful that it might have taken away from the movie. So now I'm not like it's it's kind of hard to say whether the cinematography helped the movie or not. You know, it kind of depends on what they were deciding on set, if that makes sense. And like how Bradley Cooper was directing him, I guess, because um, yeah, but like if I was like to watch this, if I was to compare cinematography purely, I definitely think this was the best-looking movie of the year by far. I guess um, I'm alone on that stage. <laughs> yeah. no, no, I, I think
0: it's... it is a very good-looking movie. I don't know. I, it's up against some of the other movies I would consider some of the best-looking movies of the year. So it's, it's a tough category. I think that I think it's very – I'm very happy it's there. But, like, Killers of the Flower Moon, Oppenheimer – Okay, maybe not as much Poor Things, but El Conde, Killers of the Flower Moon, Maestro, Oppenheimer, and Poor Things is a pretty strong category. And with with Maestro, you know, up up there, it's one of my three favorites in that category very easily.
2: And as I say, if if Hoyte Van Hoytema just didn't shoot Oppenheimer, then maybe we might, the movie might have a shot, but then Oppenheimer?
1: Well, then Oppenheimer
0: wouldn't (laughs) come out, I guess.
2: Yeah. Uh, well, Christopher, I, I, oh sorry, go ahead. Oh no, no go go ahead, go
1: ahead. I was going to say Christopher, Nolan doesn't seem to mind switching. Like he doesn't wait for anyone. Like I was surprised when he ditched uh Hans Zimmer for uh Ludwig Göransson, you know, especially considering I think I, I still think Hans Zimmer has has put in better scores overall. Um and same thing with his old cinematographer. Uh what was his name? Cuz he went on to direct that movie with Johnny Depp, Transcendence. Uh, but I actually uh, think Hoyt Van Hoytima was an upgrade. So he doesn't seem to But I, I feel like if Hoyt wasn't willing to work at the time he wanted to, then he would have just been like, "Okay, I'm I'm gonna find another cinematographer." And I feel like if you're a cinematographer, you you want to work with Christopher Nolan no matter what. <laughs> so I would I would push any uh priorities for him for sure.
0: Yeah, well, I mean it. Uh, oh, sorry. Go ahead. Oh,
2: I just I was just like looking for the name of it. It's actually Wally Pfister,
0: yeah.
1: Who
2: shot? Who shot? Who shot with um Christopher Nolan for Inception and everything? Yeah, yeah. I wonder where he went because after after the Dark Knight rises and then he did another movie and then he was gone. He didn't do anything. He he didn't became uh he didn't come back and do cinematographer again.
1: Well, uh, yeah, I don't know. I th- I think that his movie bombed and it seems did he direct with was he just christopher nolan mostly was that like his only great work
0: um he's he he's done a lot of stuff mostly before christopher nolan it looks like his other big collaborator the, the other person that he collaborated with a lot looks to be gregory dark early in, in the early 90s but christopher huh. nolan is definitely at least of the people that i'm seeing in this list he's uh He's definitely the one who's currently still the biggest
2: yeah he he shot the whole dark knight trilogy and also Mm -hmm. memento and insomnia yeah prestige yeah dude he directs
1: he directed a taco bell commercial he directed the crypto crypto crypto.com commercial that that scammed everyone (laughs) or he sent him a he was the the uh oh geez
0: maybe that's why he hasn't worked this year (laughs)
1: because <laughs> he made so much money from that, or
0: uh, yeah,
1: yeah, maybe Hopefully. I don't know. That's interesting. I I feel like sometimes, uh, like maybe maybe he really wanted. I I could see him being burnt out on that movie. It seems like Transcendence, like he got a huge budget, he had a huge star, and that movie like bombed really hard. So I can see that really taking the the wins out of you, especially if you were to, you know move away from Christopher Nolan and then he he nabs another better, it's like he nabs a better younger cinematographer (laughs) that he he takes to stardom instead. So, yeah.
2: Yeah, and and even talking about um, the changing of like people who work behind the scenes, Christopher Nolan also changed editors as well, like from Lee Smith and now he's working with Jennifer Lame as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah,
1: I remember. Is- I I think I preferred his movies under under Lee, from what I remember. Um,
2: well, Jennifer because- Je- Jennifer Lame also did a lot of great stuff. Like she edited Ari Aster's movie. She did a Merit story, which I think is amazing. Um, that was good.
1: Yeah,
2: yeah, yeah. So I I think I think that's another place that Oppenheimer wins also best editing. I think I think I think that that award is also locked for Oppenheimer as well.
0: <laughs> So uh, I guess the last question I have: Do you guys think that this movie wins anything that wins anything that Oppenheimer is also nominated for?
1: No, I, I think
2: it, I think the only thing that it wins is best makeup and hairstyling. I would say I think that that is almost a
0: certainty for Maestro, which oppenheimer is nominated for so maybe this beats oppenheimer (laughs) and that's the that's going to be the quote we use maestro will beat oppenheimer at the oscars don't ask what in doesn't matter
2: (laughs) yeah just like i i think like maestro beat oppenheimer at the oscar and then that's it and then people can just read the details in the post yeah Yeah, that's what
0: i'm gonna post on twitter that night like if it happens it just we're gonna stop there doesn't matter what award it was it just maestro beats oppenheimer (laughs)
2: yeah yeah so i i I would say that if if we if we talk about oscar chances i think it's only makeup and hairstyling i thought that it would win best actor but now bradley is just like the villain of this campaign already so
1: yeah. yeah what was the wasn't there controversy about his makeup too though that might factor into it in terms of the the nose prosthetic
2: well, the the nose prosthetic was a little bit wonky at the start, but then the the kids, I think Leonard's kids came and just stopped those rumors. And oh, they they and saved. They, okay, they basically said that we're okay with it. We approved it, so just like move on. Okay. Well,
0: and like this, I I don't know how much of this was part of it, but I remember that when I saw it, it was a weird angle. Like it was the first the first um the first trailer that they dropped for Maestro made the nose look bigger than it was because of a strange camera angle like it's Mm. just a they they picked a weird part of the movie to start on not actually a weird part it's a really good scene that they throw show in that first trailer but the way that the camera comes in on that if you don't have the rest of the context of the movie it's like if this is the first scene you see from the movie then it looks a bit strange
1: yeah 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 yeah, no, I'm, I'm looking at the other, um, I'm surprised Poor Things wasn't nominated, actually, for Best Makeup. That's really surprising to me. Oh, really? Yeah. No, Because I was going to be was, like, I don't it think it's going to win because of Poor Makeup. Things. Huh? It was. It was nominated it was? for Best Makeup. Yeah. Dude, what am I looking at? What is this? Makeup and hairstyling? Yeah. Poor Things? Golda,
0: Maestro, Oppenheimer, Poor Things, and Society of the
1: Snow. What is this list? I'm on, oh, is this shortlist? Oh, I'm on the shortlist. Wait. Well,
0: on is... the shortlist, poor things would also be there.
1: <laughs> no, I'm so I'm on the Wikipedia page. Is this wrong? Oh. Oh no, never mind. Shortlisted finalists and then finalists. Okay, yeah, never mind. Uh oh, poor thing. Yeah, I think poor things is gonna win. So yeah. Meister's not walking away with anything. Sorry guys. <laughs> Unfortunate.
2: Oh, but you, you you also think that um it won't win makeup and hairstyling as well?
1: No, I think Poor Things was definitely better, in my opinion, for sure.
2: I understand that, yeah. I love Poor Things, so I have no qualms on that. Okay. I I'll still put my money on a maestro for that category, but if Poor Things wins in that category,
0: I will mine as well. Mm. I would say that in terms of uh, in terms of makeup and hairstyling, poor things is for sure the louder of the two. Not that's not a bad thing. It's just yeah. like the makeup and hairstyling is much more. You see it, you notice it a lot more in poor things, Where in maestro. Part of the beauty of it is that you don't notice it. Yeah, or at least I, you don't notice it as you don't like. Yeah, I, I stand by it. I stand by what I said.
1: Yeah, I wouldn't necessarily say maestro had worse. Uh, makeup. I think mean, it's just like I think. Poor things has a better, um, it's it's more it's it has more reason. It's louder. It's kind of like yeah. how Carrie Mulligan's not going to win Best Actress because her performance wasn't yeah. loud enough. Essentially, so.
0: Well, and she's and like Diana a Nyad. Nyad in in Best Actress, and that Benning is playing Di- or is up for Diana Nyad. I don't I don't think I don't think that Benning's going to win well,
2: but anyway I I think we can all agree that the I I for me actually I I would feel like I think for best actress also that's another place where poor things would actually win again I yeah. think Emma Stone would win her second Oscar with this movie yeah which what was what, what I was going to say was that I feel like in general I think the taste of uh, the voters for a award season this year is gravitating away from the older um, sense in terms of that. A lot of times in, in, in the older years, performances from real people that, that like that, that the performers look so much and did so much like the original person there um, playing would win awards. But I think the taste of people is gravitating to, away from that anymore you 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 get what i'm saying that people don't feel like performances like Bradley cooper is like award worthy anymore
0: um yeah i think i see what you're saying but um gravitating away from definitely doesn't mean has gravitated away from because in best actor we still have three biopics
2: yeah but i mean like the way like let's say the way that Killian Murphy approaches the role of Oppenheimer is different from what uh, Leonard is uh, doing. Because I from Bradley's doing like Oppenheimer. Uh, Killian was like, I studied him a lot, but this is not my goal to make it to make me look as much as Oppenheimer. Where Bradley was like, I spent six years conducting because I just wanted to get it right and make it look as same as possible. You know what yeah. I mean?
0: yeah Yeah. okay I see what you're saying more for where Killian's is more of like an artistic interpretation of Oppenheimer
2: yeah yeah like he he studies everything he knows how he walks how he talks but then on the day of the performance he just knows that but then goes with what he feels anyway so I think like the taste between that and it comes to makeup and hairstyling too like people like if you're saying that if Poor Things is more of a winner then people really gravitated towards like making sure that the person looked as much as possible you know what I mean
0: mm-hmm.
1: yeah yeah I I feel like with Austin Butler not winning last year that that's like a huge if he won, I think that would have been a very bad sign for future <laughs> biopic performances but him doing all that and not winning I think was maybe a, a good sign that the academy isn't gonna go for that marketing. I, I don't want I don't I guess I don't want to discount it as an acting technique. I don't think it's necessarily bad. But it's definitely been used as a very strong marketing ploy to to be in the Oscar race. And I guess I'm not fond of that itself. Like, like, I shouldn't say like I I was kind of teasing Bradley for doing six years. If like that's generally respectable. Like if that's something he genuinely enjoys and he likes performing, like conducting, that's amazing. Like, I'm so happy for him to do that for six years. You know, I think to use that as I should win because of this. I don't know if he was, so I don't want to put that in his mouth or anything, but if they are marketing his performance as such, I think personally that, that kind of uh, frowns upon his performance itself, you know, his performance should stand by itself and then also have that added. Whereas it felt like the way he did it, and it's kind of the same with Austin Butler is that like they were trying so hard to imitate but it felt like that came from a source of I want to win. And this is this is my story of winning rather than uh, I truly like like no one. I, I mean, Daniel Day-Lewis gets some gets some shit for it, but he genuinely puts in amazing, amazing performances. And Daniel Day-Lewis isn't going around being like, oh, like I was. Like I was making people call me Lincoln on set. Like people say I that about him.
0: Abraham. Lincoln. He became.
1: <laughs> he doesn't. Yeah, he doesn't show up at the Oscars, being like, "I was Abraham Lincoln for six months, so I won this award." Like he's not bragging about it. It's just something he does, and it's his mm-hmm. it's his style, you know. So well, I, e- I don't like that be- aspect.
2: Even with Austin Butler, also like he still can drop his Elvis voice. I think he still uses that his his elvis voice up until this day and, and everything too yeah you know what I yeah mean?
1: yeah
0: well and i think like i don't know because i think because when i saw austin i saw austin butler at a q a for elvis and he had the elvis voice and he wasn't like it didn't look like he was trying like i think he just messed himself up on that working for that role which isn't necessarily a good thing it's like he had to when it when there was recently an article that came out that said, uh, where it said that Austin Butler had to get a vocal coach to help him get rid of his Elvis voice for Dune 2. And like, no, that's not a publicity thing. He just actually messed himself up trying to be Elvis, which I don't think is something that should necessarily be encouraged. Like, it's great that he went through all that work, but like, it permanently changed his voice. Not, I mean, it's psychosomatic. It didn't like kill his voice or anything. <laughs> But you know he, it's it's a it's a technique. But like, no one should feel like they have to do that just to take on a character because uh, some people aren't good at just doing the method acting and then going back to their regular life afterwards.
1: Yeah, it it shouldn't be encouraged, I guess. But it shouldn't also be frowned upon either. If that makes yeah it too yeah, hard. like it's a choice. Um, and, uh, yeah, I don't know. this I guess that's all I, I do. I had something, I guess also like if the performance is so, so good, I would not be talking about that Bradley Bradley's performance wasn't jaw drop. Like I wasn't like astounded by Bradley. If, if, if he was genuinely like put in an, an exceptional performance, I wouldn't even be talking about this, you know? So I think that that might be part of it too. I don't know how good that performance would have to be, but, um, like, yeah.
0: Well, I think that uh, we've talked a lot about Bradley Cooper. We've talked a lot about Maestro. We've talked a lot about the Oscars. We've talked a surprising amount about Austin Butler. Um, <laughs> last thoughts on Maestro before we uh, before we wrap it up.
1: Um, I... I was kind of bored I had to watch I had to go through two times to watch it like I had to, I had to go through two tries to watch it um, good technical movie I ad, admirable I respect the creativity behind it not a fun movie to watch I'm never gonna watch this again um, and it's not gonna I don't think it's gonna win any Oscars so I'd say like it's it was like a five four out of ten for me I don't
2: know. oh okay yeah and for me I, I would say that I I I liked it but I didn't like love 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 it. I same thing with you. I I I, I agree that I admire the creativity and the technical aspect of it. Yeah, I, I think the problem is the screenplay. I think the screenplay is their weakest issue and if, if they did improve that and if they incorporate the life of Leonard Bernstein a little bit more, I think that the intention that they really want to bring out the the personal side and the relationship side would actually even soar better. And yeah, and yeah, kudos to Bradley Cooper. I'm on the side that I don't think he needs to get this much hate for what he really, really genuinely wants to portray. Yeah. And yeah, but too bad that 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 he came out in the season where people gravitated towards a different sense of performance. Yeah. But yeah, still, I really, really admire his um, passion for the movie. Yeah, just wish the screenplay would be better.
0: Yeah, I think I, I've 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 said it enough times today too. Like I think the uh, I think I know who any of my problems with this movie I blame them entirely on one person, and I don't know if that blame is misplaced. It probably is. I'm, I I probably shouldn't keep putting this guy on blast. So, um, but I think this movie has there's a lot to like in it, and I wish that I liked it more because yeah. I a lot of those moments and they just don't come together for me as much as I wish they did. I think the pacing is really off, unfortunately, but yeah, uh, yeah. I mean, I don't dislike it. I think I'd put it at like, you know, like a, like a strong five or maybe a soft six. I like it more than I don't like it, but I don't like it enough. Hmm.
2: Can, Can I say something that might be surprising? I was actually looking forward to see this movie more than anything that is nominated. Like from when the start of the year comes, maybe because I'm a musical theater person along with movie person, I really want to see this even a little bit more than Oppenheimer, a little bit more than Killers of the Flower Mm. Moon. I didn't expect that I would like this movie less than Poor Things or even The Holdovers, but seeing everything I've seen right now, yeah, those movies rank higher on my list than Maestro and it's... A a, a tad underwhelming for me.
0: All right. Well, thank you so much, Ben, for coming on. Is there anything that you want to promote? I didn't ask you at all yet.
2: Well, I am starting my own YouTube channel very, very soon um, uh, in a a few. I, I, I just recorded two episodes of it. Actually, I was recording one episode before I came on to talk to you guys today. Yeah, so it's in Thai. I really want you guys to see, but it's all in Thai. I hope if I have time, I might add English subtitles on it. Yeah, but that is what I'm doing right now. And I also just finished translating Mean Girls, which is going to be in Thai movie cinemas very soon as well.
0: Yeah. Uh, I'm I'm glad you guys got Mean Girls. I haven't seen it, but like it's always cool when you guys get a movie and you get to translate it. That's such a cool experience to hear about um someday we're gonna have to someday we'll have you on for a movie that you translated so you can talk about the back the behind the scenes experience of it maybe we'll talk about mean girls after the oscars
2: you maybe, maybe mean girls i'm trying to i'm lobbying myself to do another a24 movie which i hope i get but i i'm not sure i have to fight for it just a little bit i think
0: well good luck and uh if you send me any links i don't know if your youtube channel is already up but if you send me any links i will post them And if you send them to me after this episode goes up, I will still find a way to promote them because we want people to see more of you, and we want you you. back on the show too. It's at some point, as soon as it's convenient. I I I can honestly
2: I can say now that the second episode of my my YouTube channel is about my crazy one day one day trip to Singapore to see four things. Yeah, I I traveled to Singapore for twenty hours in one day just to see poor things because at first it wasn't going to be shown in my cinema. So I decided to buy everything. I, it, it's my boyfriend's uh, idea because I just talk about the mo- movies so much and it was close to my birthday and they were like, if we pay for you to just watch it, would you shut up about this movie?
0: <laughs>
2: yeah. Yeah. So I, that the second episode of my YouTube channel should be about poor things. So I will send them all to you.
0: Yeah, please do. I, uh, I've I've heard very very sparingly about that trip, and I have been very excited to hear more. I think it's such a thing to be able to do.
2: <laughs> and what about you guys? What are you guys up to? What how can apart from the podcast? Uh, do you guys have anything you wanna that you're doing right now that
1: I can follow?
0: Um, Pierre, how about yourself?
1: Uh, I make music. You can always follow me. I don't know if you have Spotify, Um, but yeah, I make music. I'm I'm Man. I can send you a link later. Yes. Yeah. Um, Other than that, no, I really. I'm acting in short films, so if you ever want a short film, actually, well, none of them have been filmed yet, but in the future, uh, you can always people can always watch those somewhere. I don't know. I don't know how I'll present them or whatever, but. Yeah, I was talking to Jeff about maybe talking about them, but I realized that's a terrible idea if they turn out to be bad movies. So maybe I will not talk about movies I act in, but yeah.
0: On a case-by-case on well, yeah. case basis.
1: Yeah, <laughs> we'll see.
0: What is your
2: um, uh, handle in, on, on Spotify for your music?
1: Uh, M-O-T-I-M-A-N. I will go and listen
2: to your song, I promise. Oh, wow,
1: thank you
0: yes all right well i'll put links to all of that in uh in the description as well and um yeah i don't i don't have anything nearly as exciting i write. i i I, if i have done the job that i am supposed to have done by the time this movie comes by the time this episode comes out uh in two days there should be a um review of the movie Hundreds of Beavers on ContraZoom pod that I wrote uh, but I haven't wow. written that review at the time of this recording so that's going to hopefully happen tomorrow because if it doesn't I'm going to get in trouble so <laughs> that'll be up um, That is amazing well thank you once again for coming on Ben and we will have you on again after the Oscars for sure hopefully very soon after the Oscars
2: yes I, I,
0: I'm on your call whenever you need me Thank you so much for doing that. I reached out to you pretty, it wasn't entirely last minute for this, but it was pretty <laughs> quick. And you, uh, it's very late there. Thank you so much for staying up.
2: My pleasure. And and, uh, what time is it for you guys right now?
0: 3 p.m. for me. I think it's noon it's
1: like for noon, you, Pierre, right?
2: Okay. I hope you have a great afternoon and also a great week ahead as well. Thank you so much. Thank you.
0: Uh, Pierre, what's our last word?
1: Um oh man, I feel like there's something. Uh Snoopy. There you go.